I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy. We'll continue there, and we are coming to the end of chapter 4. Two sermons got us three chapters in, and now we're stuck here. Not stuck. We're moving. It's where I have come to chapter 4. It provides for us more prologue to what is coming. As Moses in this first sermon gives Israel rules for how they are to live in the land, how they are to organize their life, what it means to be one who keeps the Ten Commandments. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, I'll begin reading in verse 32, and I'll read to verse 43. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 42, I'm sorry, 32 through 43. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire, as you have heard and still live, or has any God ever attempted to go And take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation. By trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war. By a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and by great deeds of terror. All of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before before your eyes. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice that he might discipline you. And on earth he let you see his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them, and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than yourselves to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay it to heart that the Lord is God In heaven above and on the earth beneath, there is no other. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today that it may go well with you, with your children after you, and then you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Then Moses set apart three cities in the east beyond the Jordan, that the manslayer might flee there. Anyone who kills his neighbor unintentionally without being at enmity with him in time past He may flee to one of these cities and save his life. Bezer in the wilderness on the tableland for the Reubenites, Ramoth and Gilead for the Gadites, and Golan and Bashan for the Manassites. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, would you give us ears to hear wondrous things from your word, we pray. Amen. If you think of it, Of all the religions in all the world, there has never been one righteous word uttered by any God other than Yahweh. I remember when I was in seminary, one of my dear professors, Doug Kelly, spoke of the gods of this earth as those gods who have no mouths, no ears, no nose. He's quoting, obviously, from Psalm 115. And how unique it makes the Christian church in the history of the world. 
There has never been another God who has spoken to another people. We are the only people who have ever heard the voice of God or who worship a God who speaks. All the other gods of men are vain idols. They are mute. They are deaf. They have no sense. They are merely the distractions of the devil and the temptation of demons to lead people away from the only God who can speak. And not only speak, but with his voice convey not only information, but power. Power to bring about salvation. This is the great God whom we serve and whose gospel we wish to promote. This evening, I want us to, through the words of Moses, as he is exhorting Israel to think of the unique nature of the revelation of God at Sinai, think of the one who has in unprecedented fashion revealed and delivered his beloved people from sin and death. And not just some of the people. But as we see in verses 41 through 43, God has a plan to lead all men into a place of peace and refuge. Three points that I want to make this evening. The first, an unprecedented revelation. We see that in verses 32 through 33. An unprecedented revelation. We also see Moses illustrating for Israel an unprecedented deliverance in verses 34 through 40, and then in verses 41 through 43, an inheritance for the broken. An inheritance for the broken. Let's look at this first point, an unprecedented revelation. Moses is calling Israel to think, to think back, to wonder for a moment, has there ever been Since time began, in time past, or across the whole of creation, the kind of revelation that God provided for Israel at the mountain. Think about it. It is easy for us as Christians to take for granted even what happens here at worship. To think of a God who speaks and who continues to speak through the pouring out of wisdom and life through his word. We come to worship because God has words for us. And those words are delivered through a mediated sermon, but are nonetheless God's speech. And that the Holy Spirit, as truth is conveyed through the preaching of the word, even by an unrighteous man, potentially, is able to change, to minister to the hearts of men and women and children. There is no other God like that. Only our God does this. And so Moses is saying to Israel, think for a moment. Think back when you were in Egypt. And they believed the lie that the gods of Egypt communicated with them. What was that? Speech of demons? 
Satan himself influencing the minds of those emptied of all righteousness, given over to evil and wickedness and spiritual principalities, forces of darkness, but not Israel's God. And as Moses is preparing Israel to go into the promised land, he's saying, think. Think about not only what is true of all the earth, but in the history of redemption. Has there ever been a time more glorious than your meeting with God at the mountain? The answer to that question is rhetorical. No. What Israel saw, or what their parents saw, was peak progression of redemption. It was God in fire upon the mountain, revealing himself through Moses and to their very eyes, speaking to them from cloud of dust and fire. Out of the tabernacle, he would descend. And in the tabernacle, it was clear that he was among his people. They saw all of this. And God is saying, think about it. Think about how unique you are as a people in the history of the world. No one has seen me like you have seen me. My revelation is unprecedented in the progression of it. That no created man on earth, verse 1, ask each other. Go you now to the tribes at the ends of the earth. And ask them, can your little wooden statues, have they done this? Have your Buddhas lit fire to mountains? Have your gods spread out the sea? Ask them this. Why are you not asking them this? Who is even the God of this age? Who? No one knows. I mean, who is it? Who do most Americans bow down the knee to, truly? Entertainment? Sexual satisfaction? What is it, the, the sort of end of the trail of all their time and energy? You know who it is? It's themselves. How powerful are you? What can you accomplish? What would you do if someone to come and thump you in the chest? Could you withstand even the onslaught of someone who's just a little bit bigger and a little bit stronger? No, our God is unique in all the earth. And what began as a tiny little promise, a seed, the promise of a seed, is building and expanding in glorious ways. And Moses is saying, You have seen the cutting edge, the tip of the spear of God's progression of revelation. You have seen me. Something that no one else has seen or heard the way that you have seen and heard it. And what I have said to you is unique. No other tribe in all of the earth. You have been given the content of the covenant of grace. Do you understand the treasure that that is? 
Do you understand that you are a member of a body that holds the keys of the kingdom? And that the power that is in our midst right now, Christ, by His Holy Spirit, is greater than any earthly power. Yes, it may be hidden. But then there are those flashes of brilliance, of might, and of power, where Christ undermines the plans, the devices, and the designs of the wicked. Verse 33, did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself? No one else has seen things like this. No one else has heard things like this. And God is saying, in essence, to Israel, just wait. There is more to the promise that is yet to be unfolded. The Israelites understood that the tabernacle was temporary. Even as the mountain was temporary. They were not to live at the mountain. Where were they to go? Into the land. And any good Israelite knew that there was still work that remained once they got in the land. Are we not of the same mind? We're not home. This earth is not our home. There is work that remains to be done and even more glorious things await the people of God. Now, some of you may say, well, it doesn't seem that way to me. It seems like we're on the downward trend. Well, what do you think the saints were saying just prior to the Reformation? Things in Europe are bad. If it's not a A worthless religion. It's a decadent, godless society. And then a spark was lit through men like Wycliffe and Luther and others. And God ignited the hearts of people through the work of the church and through the progression of science, i.e. the printing press, and it changed the world forever. What are we on the cusp of? I have no idea. I have no idea. But it's something. God continues to reveal himself even as he has in Scripture through his voice. And it isn't just a voice that gives directions and information. It is a voice that is power incarnate. It is no coincidence that God spoke in flame and out of the flame. Because the flame itself, when he spoke to Moses there at the beginning of Moses' call, was a little glimpse of what God would do at the mountain when he dwelt upon the top of Sinai in fire. And even that was a glimpse of what John says in John chapter chapter 1, the word made flesh and he dwelt among us. The light came into the world and that light was the light of men. Psalm 115, I'll give you, I'll tell you a secret. I chose Psalm 115 because the tune is one of my favorite tunes ever. I did not choose Psalm 115 because it matches the theme of this particular chapter. But do you know what? Lo and behold, as I was preparing and as I was singing tonight, I went, whoa, this works. And this is why. 
There are some central themes in Scripture that are repeated over and over and over again. And Moses is saying to Israel, you are being sent into a land who worship gods that have no mouths by a God who has spoken to you out of the fire. Because the temptation will be what? To go to the gods that cannot speak and to worship and bow down to them. To marry the women who worship them. To be wed immorally in their hearts and in their bodies. Moses says, remember who is speaking to you. And what he has said, not only in his faithfulness to progressively reveal himself to you, but in contrast to all the other gods of this earth that are nothing but wood and stone and the imaginations of men. They are nothing. When you go out into the world and you do war against unbelievers either through faithful apologetics or just by simply kindly ministering the gospel. You are speaking to a people that have no voice on the other line. They are alone. They may think they are worshiping a God. They may think they have the support of some higher power, but there is nothing behind them and there is nothing over them. They worship nothing. They hear nothing. They are destitute, spiritually speaking. And what you are bringing them is everything. And even if they are listening, even if they are listening to the voice of wicked beings, we worship a God who cast out demons, who has power over all, who can hit mute and silence the voice of the wicked one. Whenever he wishes. Remember Satan's a creature. An angel. No more powerful than any other angel. But whose whole intention. Is to get you. To forget. That our God speaks. And to listen to him instead. But the only thing that he has to say to you is. Cursings. And death. He has no intention to bless you, but not God. And so Moses is saying, when you go over into that land, there will be many voices that will compete for my attention and my affection. Do not listen. And in this, Moses reminds Israel that the Lord is unprecedented in his revelation. And not only that, but unprecedented in his deliverance. God led 1.6 million thereabout Jews out of, out of Egypt. It's a big, it's a big group of people. I don't know what the population of Charlotte is, something probably around that number. He led a city, a nation. And he did so in such a way as to show, not just tell, but to show Israel that the gods of Egypt have no power whatsoever. I've covered this in other sermons from this particular book, and I don't want to go back over it, but God is constantly in the plagues humiliating and revealing the weakness and impotency of the gods of Egypt. They are nothing. They're demons. They have no power. 
Or if they have power, they have no power in comparison to the God who actually made them. Perhaps a bit more powerful than an Egyptian, but dust on the scales compared to God. And so God is showing and telling in his deliverance of Israel from Egypt through the Red Sea and in his revelation at Sinai that he alone is unique in his deliverance. What God can do this? To whom will you pray in days of trouble? Who can do it? I remember R.C. Sproul saying, you know what? It's time to take other God's names in vain. So instead of using the name that God has given to himself in Scripture, let's humiliate the gods of earth by taking their names in vain. You can't do it, can you? You can only take the name of the Lord our God in vain, for his name alone is holy. And yet we find across this entire world men and women and children who are duped and led astray, who revere the names of gods that do not exist. As Paul would say, they are nothing. And so meat offered to idols isn't corrupt because there's nothing to corrupt it. These gods are nothing. They do not exist. They are figments of our broken imagination and the depravity of our hearts. The Christian, the Israelite, is unique in all the earth because he relies upon a God who actually speaks and can do something. And what does he do? He brings deliverance. He brings deliverance from the hands of the wicked. And this is a small thing for God. This is not hard for God to do. In fact, God has designed redemption in such a way, not because it is difficult to him and it tires him, and so it took a long time, but in order to show those of slow heart just how unworthy our idols are. For God not only disciplines and brings judgment upon the wicked to show us how unique and glorious and worthy of worship he is, but he also uses deliverance or brings, he uses discipline as deliverance. Look at verse 35. We see God's wrath and power against Egypt, but look at verse 35. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is none other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice that he might Discipline you. God brought judgment upon Israel to purify them that they might remain his beloved people. The scripture elsewhere says God chastises those whom he loves. God is faithful. Not only did God bring judgment upon Egypt but temporary judgment upon Israel so that he might reveal to them that he is serious. That he means what he says. That he will do as he says. And to strike fear that we might not become like the Egyptians. Verse 36, again, out of heaven, 
He let you hear his voice that he might discipline you. And on earth, he let you see his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. I keep going back to this quote. It's so, it's such a masterful summary of the character of our Lord and the character of God that Lewis places in the sort of character of his um, great lion, Aslan where the children were in Narnia and they heard rumors of this great lion who was on the move. And they were getting ready to meet him. Mr. and Mrs. Beaver were going to... Have y'all read this? Please, just read it this summer. Read it to your children, parents. They say of this Aslan, because it's a lion. I mean, would you want to go meet a lion? And they ask a very logical question. Is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says, oh, 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 no, children, he is not safe, but he is good. You see, we want a God who fits nicely in our pocket, like a mouse, right? And we can take him out and we can pet him, maybe like a genie. We can ask him for things, and then we're done with him. We can put him back in our pocket, right? This is the pocket, this is the God of corporate America. We take them and we put them in our pocket when we're at work. We put them in our pocket when we're online. We put them in our pocket when we're dating someone. He's there, but he has not devoured us. He is not all-consuming. He's just one of the things we put in our profile. Christian. This is not the God of the Old and New Testament. No, our God is an all-consuming fire who, for the sake of his beloved children, is not content to live in our pocket, but wants every part of us. And he will do what is needed to make us more like himself. To move our hearts away from the idols of this world. To use discipline as deliverance. Children, you may not understand this yet, But your parents bring the rod and they bring discipline to save your soul from hell. So that you might fear Egypt and love the land of promise. That is, fear living in Egypt and long for the deliverance of God. And so the Lord does all of these things we see in verse 39 and 40. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other God. Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Why does God do all of this? Well, he wants our heart. He wants our attention. He reveals in ways that are unprecedented in comparison to all the other gods of this earth, chiefly in the person and work of Jesus Christ upon the cross and in his death, burial, and resurrection and in his ascension. The Father has sent his Son into the world to get our attention and to lay hold of our hearts. He doesn't just want our ears. He wants every part of us. He demands our allegiance, and the reward for our allegiance is eternal satisfaction. It is to be called child 
of the true and living God, not slave to sin and death. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart. What is the way into our hearts? If you're stubborn, it's repetition. Over and over and over again. If you're stubborn, God wants to kill your idols in front of you. He wants you to watch. And he wants you to see them made a mockery. So here's my suggestion. Let go of those idols before God has to kill them in front of you. It's a less violent way. Let them go. Relinquish your love. And if it's hard, pray God's help. He did it in Egypt and he can do it for you. Pray that God would so humiliate your false gods that you never seek their attention and favor again. Is it the admiration of men? Is it greed? Is it lust? Is it anger? God will speak and do things in order to get your attention. And he will cause you to turn your face in such a way that all you can behold is the glory and beauty of his face. But sometimes it requires a firm hand on the chin to get your gaze. And God says, I will do it. Because ultimately, I don't care about just your knowledge. What does he say of the demons? They believe and they shudder. God wants us to believe and worship. He wants our affection. And not just ours, but a kind of religion that bubbles over and springs forth and it gets everybody else wet. He wants our children's hearts. How do you children learn to love worship? They watch their parents in worship. Do you know why so many children absent themselves from the church today? Because churches are hell-bent on separating every single group from one another while they're there. Because churches are more interested in providing a place where parents can date and their kids are cared for than bringing families together, exercising awe in the presence of God. I tell you this, if you can be in awe in the presence of God in worship, you won't have to do much talking when you're at home. Your children will see your heart and they will go, whatever he's got, I want that. Because it carries him through. It carries her through life. What does the world see when the church doesn't even bother to go to worship? How many churches' doors are darkened right now? What does that tell the world? We worship a God who doesn't speak. He has nothing to say to us. Or we don't care to listen. But the God who is in the mountain in fire is still the holy God who reigns from heaven. What is true now is that he meets with us through his son Jesus Christ. And that this inheritance that he has prepared for us is for every single kind of person. And so we find this weird passage right here in verses 41 through 43. And I debated, should I preach it this Sunday or a one-off or next Sunday? I want to bring it in here because I want us to understand 
That when we live in this world, there are people who run for office, they want our attention, they want our support, and all of the promises they make only cover a certain section of people. You know who those people are? The people who get them elected. It's not you. It's people with this and people with this. It's none of you, unless you have some dark money I don't know about. And if you do, there's a parking lot that needs to be built. (laughs) Come on, guys. They care about people who care about them. The land of promise is for everyone. And so we find this strange, it seems, departure. Then Moses set apart three cities in the east beyond the Jordan, and those cities of refuge were for people who accidentally killed people. And I don't know how to say it any better than this. God's land of promise is a refuge for everyone, no matter the circumstance. God's salvation is wholesale, and it overlooks no one, even those who are at great division with others, who have made mistakes, accidents, these are unintentional manslaughter. Those who may be the outcasts of society are welcome in the land of promise. There is no other nation like this. And it's not just these kinds of people. There are all manner of carve-outs, places that God has established in His kingdom for all kinds of people. Do we really believe that? Are we a people who are convinced that the fulfillment of the gospel is the unfurling of the tent of God and he has every intention of bringing all manner of people into that so long as they listen to, receive, and believe his voice? It is a substantial salvation, is my point. It's not a fairy tale Loose story end kind of salvation. You know what I'm talking about? At the end of the film, you go, well, where did that storyline end up? There are no loose people, no loose ends. There's a place for all of them in the kingdom. It is a real place for truly broken and hurting people. But the way to be healed is to find refuge in him. It's not for a put together people. It's for broken people. Think of all the times you've accidentally hurt someone in this church. Not killed. Let's back it down a little bit. Just hurt with your mouth. Maybe you said something you didn't intend to hurt. The refuge that God provides is incredible, it is substantial. And God leaves none of his beloved out. This is what Israel will learn when they get to the land. That God is thorough in pursuit of a broken people. And praise God, he is so thorough that he has waited so that we might come in. God's patience has resulted in your membership And I pray God will continue to be patient. Because even right now, I look out around us and I see a lot of hurting and broken people. 
I see people that the society hates for no other reason than they do not bow the knee to Pharaoh or to Caesar. The question is, is there a place for them in the kingdom of Christ? What will we say to them? What power will we reveal to them even as we bring to them the gospel? There are people even now whom Christ will continue to bring in. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God, we